host James, and this is my co-host Anthony. And tonight we have a great adventure that we're going to take you on. I'm not exactly sure what that adventure shall be, but Anthony shall inform us all of the journey ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, then look, we're just gr- we're just going by the balls and see where it takes us because uh, I've got very little sense of direction. I'm all about the journey. <laughs> nice. Uh, so what's been happening over the last week, Anthony? Working and coming home. I have been thinking a lot, though, because you had, you had mentioned wanting to kind of talk about bloats, and I had said we could do something maybe about rituals in general. But one thing that's also been on my mind, for those of you that don't know, I am very much into the woo stuff, paranormal conspiracies. That's not really where I'm thinking on going for this. But when it comes to rituals and lore, we have discussed lightly on a few occasions about being mindful of where you're getting your information on your practice. And we've mentioned Mr. Stephen Flowers on a few occasions and Not that I necessarily want to pick on him, but I feel like he is a very good example of not just misinformation, but intentional. So, like, what I kind of wanted to touch on is where he, where, where he started and used him and kind of used him as an example. So, for those that don't know, Edward Thorson. Mr. Stephen Flowers is a member of the Temple of Set while also being the founder of the Rune Guild. And this is important to know because the Temple of Set was founded by Mr. Michael Aquino. And because this is going on YouTube, all I'm going to say is that there's a lot of controversies with this guy. Uh, look up his name a little bit. It's all there. But he founded the Temple of Set after You're referring to the pedophilia. Yes, among a, the among pedophilia a and the yeah no he was he was the officer who wrote the book on psyops. Yes, and he founded the Temple of Set after being a priest in Anton Lavey's Church of Satan. And not liking what it, what it had become. So, uh, I forget the year, but he did a ritual during Walspurgis Knot. And I'm not, super, I'm not super familiar with what this is about. The base information I've gotten is that allegedly it is a Germanic holiday... Uh, acknowledging and honoring the darker side of Freya. I have not found anything to corroborate that, but that is the little bit that I found. But regardless, he did this ritual on Walspurgisnacht to have what he called the infernal mandate transferred from the Church of Satan to 
his new organization. And the reason he calls it the Temple of Set is during this ritual, a entity that identified itself as Set acknowledged him and transferred the quote-unquote infernal mandate. Not to be a neo-Egypt, not to be a like a reconstruction of the ancient Egyptian polytheism, but uh, more of a left-hand path, become your own god, anti-natural path, anti-society. And the base is in no way any kind of paganism. And so these are the two people that... So, LeVay mentored Aquino, and Aquino mentored Flowers. And as far as I understand to this day, he has never renounced or said anything about him leaving. In fact, I've heard the contrary. So, as far as I understand, Mr. Flowers is still a member of the Temple of Set, and his... his education in the esoteric has filtered through to the rune guild and the overall germanic osetru themes up to this point and it's something that i honestly feel needs to be addressed and countered uh so i so i just wanted to use him as an example of knowing Knowing the base of the people people that you're reading from, like I do not feel that Mr. Flowers is at all in any way a true Asatruar heathen, Norse pagan, whatever term you want to use, that is not the basis of his of his spiritual beliefs. That is the language he uses to spout his left hand path. Similar to the way you will see these same people promote Gnostic ideals, even Christian ideals. And so, so again, coming back to bloats, runes, rituals. This is why me and you talk so much about going to the sources or... Uh, groups like the Noriana Society, who are people that actually practice the faith. I don't know if I was all over the place on that. If I was, I apologize. Hopefully, you can kind of help me make better sense of what I'm trying to say. Right. I think the broader topic is uh, occultism in today's uh, practice of quote unquote Germanic paganism, um, in the influences, where it comes from, uh, has it intentionally been. Uh, perverted in a way uh, by certain forces or people or groups of of individuals um, and then how do we navigate through that is that kind of what you're thinking yeah yeah exactly right and i mean this will be the third one uh where we've brought up stephen flowers in, in his work and you really can't help do uh, but do that because his work is so pervasive uh, in you know people that are interested in learning about uh, 
Germanic paganism, magic systems, and things like this, because that's really what uh, Stephen Flowers did, was he, he, he wrote different works on how to create magical systems for people to practice and follow. Yeah, I mean, there's... Not to mention that he... I mean, and also, we can't leave out that he also does have uh, a PhD, and he has focused on specifically uh, runes uh, in his education and works, which is, to me, the most dangerous part of it. Because he is the person that knows the history of the runes in depth, and he's able to weave in this system... Uh, that is foreign to our people. And this really gets at the root of, of a broader topic is uh, where, do, where do these systems come from and how do we recognize them and how do we move past them and bring people to have the awareness of our true faith and our true practice and our true tr tradition. But we have to start before Stephen Flowers because... Really, uh, if you look at, for example, uh, even Guido von Liszt, you know, he's very, very influential in Germanic pagan circles. A lot of people take his work as the Bible, um, quote unquote, <laughs> not literally the Bible, but as an authoritative text of a tradition uh, worthy to pass on. And I don't mean in any way to denigrate Guido von Liszt because I think the work that he did was very important. Um, he brought awareness, the folk consciousness, and the whole renaissance of the 1800s and the early 1900s of the folk soul. And he definitely was an important figure in our folk history. Uh, but we have to recognize where the ideas that he introduced where these come from. So I know that we mentioned in the last episode about, you know, his ideas coming from, you know, kind of the East, which I'm not sure if a lot of people know or not, but Guido von Liszt pretty much copied Helena Blavatsky's secret doctrine. And that is where these ideas come from that he perpetuated. Uh, I have no doubt that his experiences his visions uh, were probably very real to him and that he was very honest in his, uh, I don't know what you would call it, in his rendition of that when he was teaching other people. Um, but these occultist ideas were just flowing throughout Europe in the 18 uh, and 1800s and 1900s. And these ideas came from essentially if you strip all of the layers down, they come from the Middle East. They come from uh, Western Asia and parts of Africa and uh, even some of the more Eastern parts of, of Asia as well. Yeah, and for those that all Helena, for those that don't know, Helena Blavatsky was also very openly satanic slash Luciferian in her verbiage and ideals. Matter of fact, the first magazine she started was, I believe, Lucifer Rising or Lucifer's Light. They followed very much like the hermit, hermetic tradition, which is very rooted in Kabbalistic uh, theology and philosophy. Why is this important, though, for us to understand, Anthony? Because it's a different base of 
it's a completely separate foundation of the esoteric and exoteric or the the inner rituals and the outer rituals beliefs values cosmology everything like it they're everything about how they approach everything is just completely different it doesn't have a base in our ancestral spiritual physical worldview and additionally for those who are also not aware about helena blavatsky she was one of the founders of the theosophical society which is one of the the organizations in the uh late 1800s and early 1900s that was a part of building kind of this occultist germanic uh secret quote-unquote society that was looking to help influence europe now i think the intentions are pure on the part of guido von list and i think the things that he he had did and he had uh, taught to other people were important things um and, and it's really hard to try to talk down about somebody like Guido von List. Um, and the reason why I say that is because our history as a folk, after the Christian church essentially came into Europe, stripped us of our belief systems, outlawed our practices and our beliefs, uh, hid, or I wouldn't say hid, but changed the meaning of words, changed the meaning of theological principles that our people had understood for thousands of years and what had happened is we became a people that only knew the history from the christian worldview that had conquered us uh a thousand fifteen hundred years ago and so in the renaissance of the 1800s as people are awakening they be, are becoming aware of these things of course there's going to be information that isn't accurate or information that they are learning about at that time because so much of it had been hidden the world view of our ancestors had been hidden and there's a purpose behind that and we'll get to that for sure but i like to look at figures like guido von list as the growth of our society or the growth of our folk as you know just as as my own children you know my son might be in third grade and he writes this paper and he writes this book report on a book that he read and he gives his own opinions on it and even though it may not be the masterpiece of my son for his life's work um it's a really great thing it's part of the development of my son and it's the same thing with these figures in our history that even though their works may not necessarily uh be the masterpiece or be everything there is to understand um and even though there may be things wrong about it this is still part of the history of the development of our folk and our people um as we're reacquiring our understanding of our traditions and our in our true history of our people which which also comes back to the things that we've talked about before about being open to expanding your knowledge base you know because like i agree with you i don't think miss mr von list <laughs> was malicious he was a stepping stone and we need to be willing to 
reevaluate certain things and ex- and expand upon and take what ha- what has a proper base and grow upon it and shed that which doesn't. Give me an example. I don't so so I don't know much about Von List or his system. He's one that I have stayed away from. But one example that I that I can give is in Taking Up the Runes by Diana Paxson. I have found her meditations to be her rune meditations to work very well for me. I don't agree with her universalist approach. And there are things in her teachings that I recognize coming from other places. Uh, but again, I, I, I like her meditations. I find her rune meditations. I find that they are, that they do have a power and they work very well for me. So that's the, that's the best example I can give on that train of thought. I, I personally, I don't really care for Diana Paxton. Um, but, uh, when I was first learning, I definitely read her book on runes, and it did kind of um, give me a, 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 I felt like a better understanding of uh, some of the, I guess you would call them theological concepts of of the runes themselves. Um, but as I've grown in my studies over the years, I've I've sort of come to understand the runes to to work in a different way than what most people think of them working as uh and what i mean by that and we go back to stephen flowers aka edward thorson in his works on the runes where he's built these magical systems uh essentially based off of his temple set book the black runa where he incorporates egyptian slash kabbalistic um, attributes to the symbols that we recognize as the runes today, and he created this magical system based off of that. And I think that that those ideas have seeped in like worms. You know, they have seeped in and have pervaded a lot of authors over the last thirty years that have written about the the runes. Because there is a demand. People want to know about these things. People want to understand them. And everybody's interested in learning about magic, per se. What is magic? You know, they want to be able to understand some type of magical system and feel like they have some way of influencing things around them. I would agree with that. I mean, my my rune knowledge is much more basic than yours. It's only something I've really recently been putting more time and focus into. Right. So, um... The runes, for me, are certainly, they they contain magical properties about them. But the symbols themselves aren't necessarily magical, if that makes sense. What makes them magical is the way that you tie the runes together. And I know that there's people that know about, like, for example, learning the runes in a certain specific order... And there's a reason for that. There's a reason to learn, you know, the three eights, what goes with the different eights, phrase eight, Heimdall's eight, tears eight. There's a reason of learning these all in a specific order. And learning them doesn't 
in itself give you the ability to cast magic per se but um learning them just on the basic level will teach you or prepare you for the next step which has to do with combining the runes and specific patterns that create magical results that's a good way of putting it because like when i think about it like i almost think as of each individual rune as like a a pool of a pool of a specific type of power like they not that they this is almost going to sound like an oxymoron but not that they can do not that they necessarily are a power in of themselves but when tapped they're able to be used as a as a tool as a power like that almost sounds hypocritical but i'm not sure how to say it better than that i I know what you're trying to get at and here's the thing is um when i say you know the runes in and of themselves like just the symbol of it is not what is magical because i mean there's alphabets in almost every single language in the world today and some of these alphabets have been around for thousands of years not just you know ours um but what makes them magical is the combination of them the words of them the speech of them the spelling and and i guess you would call it like bind runes where you're binding something uh, to have a specific result, you know, in yeah. your intentions. I mean, it I goes back it's... to the creation myth with Ymir, you know, the screamer, right? Yeah. The sound. Speaking of which, I shared that uh, I shared that video with you of NASA releasing the uh, the first time ever the sound of a black hole. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That was pretty crazy. I mean, there's some theories that space doesn't exist as we think it does, but this isn't the uh, this isn't the venue for those discussions. But yes, it was super interesting. The uh, the sounds of a black hole. It was it, it kind of gave me some shivers. Jessica and my daughter they they both thought that they heard like some type of sounds like people were like some type of singing or something like that yeah i just did you i didn't catch people it just like gave me a weird feeling like i'm much more like on a quote-unquote feeling vibes i i pick up that type of stuff really well it, it wasn't entirely pleasant but it wasn't not pleasant like I, I don't know. It, it's 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 something people got to hear for sure. Right. I mean, getting back to the runes and and the magic of them, and why it's important um, not to like or why it's important to recognize the sources, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, diving into this topic, is that if you are not learning the proper. Um, traditional way of learning for example our magic system for the germanic people or the runes per se uh, you're practicing a system that you don't even really are understanding what the consequences of that are it's just like when people are trying to do magic and and they're just learning and everybody starts 
at a certain phase or a certain place and they develop over the years but sometimes you do things you're not understanding what you're doing you know in a ritual and you can unlock forces or things um, cause results that happen that could be devastating for you or other people around you you don't really understand you know the 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 full spectrum of what one is doing if if you do not understand if you do if, if you don't truly understand the powers behind the magical system that you're using you you don't entirely know what you could be bringing on yourself cuz so like for me like be, being a hard polytheist i acknowledge the existence of other divine groups and when you're using the magical systems tied to and stemming from these divine groups different beings influence different aspects of the magical and the esoteric so if you if you are using something in a way that it's not supposed to be used you could potentially get on the bad side of one of these divine beings and not only will what you will what you are trying to do not either not work or work in a way that you did not intend you could also bring the wrath of these divine beings upon yourself and not even know where it's coming from industry for example because i mean when you speak about the ruins in today's modern age as we mentioned several times in just this conversation alone uh stephen flowers is the leading figure of that because he is the person that published these uh, books um, essentially yelding together the Kabbalistic system, the Jewish, uh, I guess you call it mystical system, if you will, uh, into Germanic paganism. And so people are, this was the only book around for decades and decades that people had to learn you know so they weren't aware of other systems and so they study these they learn them and and then they're practicing these things and then they you know i don't know <laughs> then they're then they're then they feel confused you know when they start learning about the traditional system and how runes were traditionally learned and then they feel a conflict or odds with themselves and kind of a little bit what we talked about last week in the episode where we started talking about uh, started talking about you know uh moving forward and people not wanting to change what they're doing because they don't want to feel like what they were doing was invalid but the biggest point to that for me is this and I'm not sure if everybody understands, is that there's a spiritual war that's taking place. There is, and this is from the beginning of time. And the war is order versus chaos. And you and I were talking about the the latest trend of people, you know, worshiping Finrir and trying to call him back, like the Rune Guild, to bring about Ragnarok. Um, and I had mentioned about the storekeeper uh, talking about uh, that 
Ragnarok is just the chaotic forces or nature. It's just a natural process of the universe or nature uh, consuming itself so that there could be a new beginning, right? And yeah. where this goes wrong is that at the end of the story, and, and, th and this goes for all of the Loki worshippers or Lokians out there, is at the end of the story, the gods prevail. It was the chaotic forces that were trying to destroy them, and they were unsuccessful in the end. And order in life continues. We win. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they... The story. I feel like they miscon misconstrue the fact that there is a necessary level of chaos to help things grow, but these beings are beyond that level of necessary chaos. They are chaos for destruction for destruction's sake, not for growth. Right. So you've heard my theory um, about Suthar and Lothar and uh, Loki, of course, and we've been over it many times in past episodes. Not going to really revisit that aspect. But so tying all of that together with this, this is when, when we talk about history and then you have the merging of different societies and different religious beliefs and you have one people conquering another people uh and as we know we have christianity that essentially raged a very vicious war against our folk throughout europe um and what happened is that this is an extension of a very ancient battle that's been taking place and you know, you have Christianity today where they speak about like monotheism, where there's just one God to worship. And even though it gets kind of confusing for people because they're like, well, it's one God, but in three forms. Oh, well, there's, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one and three. And I don't know, they're trying to do mental gymnastics, if you will, to get around the fact that it's still polytheistic in belief. It's not monist in any way or fashion. But I believe that these histories tie in together. I believe that the history of all people are tied in together somewhere and that we can look at things like, for example, the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we can actually get glimpses of things that were going on between these different people and our ancestors during those time frames. You know, first myth I'd like to dissolve is, you know, anybody that's practicing Christianity that thinks, you know, that there's that the Bible only teaches you that there's one God. Um, you got to go back and read the Bible. I mean, the Bible is filled with verses in the Old Testament talking about different gods and. In fact, the very first commandment in the Bible is thou shall not worship other gods besides me, for I am a jealous God. And to me, I see this as a very Lokian-like nature, where I feel like there's some sort of connection to that Lokian aspect there. And people talk about, you know, this God in the Old Testament that was like a, a burning bush in the in, in the in the desert, and it's really funny the connection to the fire there and what we understand about like Suthar 
you know, uh, and I believe that these mergings of uh, of of history of of two different people coming together and one dominating the other with the conquering and the propagation of a foreign faith and belief system was their way to enslave our people spiritually. And thus the reason why they completely wiped out our history a thousand years ago. So you speculate that Yahweh is Suther? I don't know if it's exactly him um, or some force tied to him. But it seems very convenient um, that this is uh, a being that somehow controls fire. Uh, thus, the burning bush in the desert, um, a very jealous God, as the Bible describes him. And here is the thing is like, my theory is that Lothar essentially becomes jealous of Odin. And he didn't like Odin being picked as the God that would be the all-father, the one that essentially would designate positions for the other gods, the person that would be Mimir's replacement. He didn't like that. And later in the story, Loki enters it, and I believe that that was like a name taboo, that Loder was no longer spoken of in the lore later on, and that references then began using the term Loki, because there was a name taboo somewhere in the tradition of the story that happened over time. To me, the characteristics, when you when you are trying to like make a comparison between different systems and different gods, you have to look at the attributes of the gods to see where they correspond at, not just like names, if that makes sense. And to yeah. me, the attributes that's described in the Old Testament... Um, regarding the attributes of what we know about Sutor, for he rises against the gods. And, and this isn't just, you know, this isn't just stuff being pulled out of the hat, you know, today. These are things that are written about in the Old Testament as well when they're talking about all the wars that were transpiring uh, between the different peoples in those regions at that time. Some of those regions and some of those people were our ancestors that are being spoken about. And a lot of people don't know that. And so I, I, I firmly believe that these stories are interconnected and woven together. It's just about trying to understand how they actually connect and what has happened over the last 1,500 years when our entire continent of people have been brainwashed into this foreign religion um and remember it only takes like two generations till you make you it only takes two generations to make people forget things that happened yeah i mean when things aren't talked about for 80 years they disappear exactly which is crazy when you think about it because even though they were persecute persecuting pagans in europe and they were doing this they they still do it to this day to some extent in some places but not as bad as like in the 
mid thousands, you know, when you get into like the 15, 16, 17, 1800s, they were really persecuting people, you know, like the witch trial and the uh, Inquisition, where they're just going about essentially killing pagans is what, what's happening. These are trials of pagans, people that they're catching that are practicing the old ways. And it's amazing with all of these things happening that our folklore still survived because we were still telling our kids about it in stories and we would hide it in stories and teach them about our morals and our history and in our in our stories so on the same train of thought because we have also both talked about how we have to stay away from the unifying approach of all gods are the same so how do in from your perspective how do we navigate what seems to be this gray area with the similarities of Yahweh and Suther without falling down the rabbit hole of all the gods are all the gods are the same therefore they're all one and all the goddesses are the same and therefore they're all one that's a good question, and, and, and it can be difficult, but I, what I'm doing here is not unifying or making the gods one and the same. Um, what I'm doing is recognizing uh, from our own traditions where we recognize that different uh, beings come from different sources. And every be everything out there that's living is 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 a living being and everything out there you know you can get benefit or favor from trees for example very holy to our folk for a, a very important reason trees are very conscious they know what's going on around them uh, i don't know if i mentioned this in the episode in the past before but uh a tree is so conscious that it even knows the seedlings in its grove. If they're uh, struggling for nourishment, they're able to actually send nutrients to their own seedlings. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And these are just, you know, scientific things that we're learning today about them, but that our folk understood for thousands of years. Say we have talked about that, Say, yeah. Just like you, you or me, or you or I, um, somebody can come to you and say, Anthony, I need protection, you know, and you, they could give you a gift for that protection and you can extend your protection to them. And it's the same way with anything that exists in this entire universe and this entire creation that you can call upon different things and you can extract energy. You can extract different favors that help benefit you that harm you, that harm other people, or maybe they'll just be oblivious to your requests. I mean, there's a lot of things that can come out of that, but uh, people have to just be aware that our religion isn't necessarily always just about the gods themselves, which are obviously very important to our faith and our own ancestry, but that everything around us is living, is breathing, and we can get favor from all of these. And I, I don't think that's any different with like uh, the stories that we see in the Bible with this 
Old Testament God, where it's a being from a different source than ours that has created a following of people or or folk that are different than ours to worship him. And their objective, according to the Old Testament, was essentially to go destroy every other uh, god that exists. So the touching that on the, those gods. So touching on the spirit portion, are you? So are you of like, for lack of a better term, an an animism point of view? I think that animism is valid to a certain degree because everything is is a, a living being. But I'm not to the point that we all share, like, the same spirits. Okay, that makes sense. Like, I believe each individual tree is its own tree. It has its own consciousness. And I think that their trees are able to tap into a greater consciousness. And it's funny, as Kaya and I had this discussion a few weeks back, actually, about trees and how trees um, are very aware of what their purpose is in life. Whereas humans, we're not necessarily as aware of our purpose or our destiny um, until we become older. And someone teaches us ab about, the, you know, the things that we need to know. I mean, I, I, I would argue these days, even just getting older, is it necessarily a guarantee you're going to figure it out? Very true. Well, that has to do with there is no... There is no horizontal transmission of information anymore. It's all vertical. It's transmitted from a single source to everybody in the whole world because they're trying to get us all to believe and think the same things. And that's why it's important that we recreate this horizontal transmission of information. And what I mean by that, and I've referenced this in previous episodes, is that we begin you know, passing down these stories from our generation to the next, like we have always done for thousands of years. And that's how our folklore has uh, survived, um, not just history itself and time, but also has survived a lot of things with Hushin, where they outlaw us speaking about these things when they outlaw, you know, certain rituals or acts or pu public acknowledgements, things like that. It survived all of those things because we knew the importance of, of it. And we have to continue to do that. We have to speak to our children. We have to teach them these stories, teach them their history, because if we don't, they are going to fall prey to this vertical transmission of information that is trying to hypersexualize our children and do very nasty things to them mentally, physically, but most important, spiritually. Because if they kill our uh, knowledge of our identity of who we are, then we we have nothing. Yeah, if, if if we don't if we don't give if we don't give them a foundation, there's so so much information out there that they'll essentially corrupt themselves because that's the only thing that's there if we don't give it to them you know like you know, and it makes me think about like these occultist movements where you know because most of the occultist movements are uh they have their secret organization 
and only those worthy are able to learn the secrets and you know if you do memorize all these different symbols and you do these specific rites then you'll start to understand and when you actually start delving into these things because when i was younger i got into a lot of different things uh hermeticism Aleister Crowley. I was very interested in these different systems as I was learning. And um, at the end of the day, what they're actually doing is they are feeding forces, as you had mentioned, that are foreign to our people that actually were seeking to harm our people. How do you tie it all back together with the occult? How to articulate this? I guess I just come back to like we talked about in the beginning, knowing the knowing the roots of the information that you're getting, understanding where those roots sit, are they of your folk or are they not? And that basic human understanding of if it's not of our own, it's probably going it's probably not good for us. You know, that no one system of people's occult knowledge was more powerful or less powerful than the other, but it was made and benefits the folk that it came from. And, you know, so like the Germanic, Norse, Anglo-Saxon systems, the systems of our folk benefit us the systems of the native folk benefit them this the systems of african folk benefit them and so on and so forth and that these systems can only ever truly be passed on a superficial level to those that are 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 not of that folk and those that are not of that folk that use these systems use it to the benefit of another folk and the detriment of their own. Right. And let me make a uh, mention about something I think that's important uh, when we're we're talking about this, because we first started talking about the runes and um, and, and different histories and stuff, and, and this being a spiritual war that has went on for thousands of years since the beginning of time, is that these systems, as you mentioned, are to benefit specific people. We have a system that come from our ancestors that benefit us. And other folk have systems that benefit their people. But um, what I don't think people understand about the deeper spiritual level of this is that these are like spells that have been cast. This is magic that is being worked. The storytelling of of how the narrative uh, comes to be is essentially a reworking of consciousness. So if you are learning a system that's foreign to you, you are essentially falling victim to a spell from another system that is trying to consume your soul or your mind into that consciousness and this is why it's important for us to attach ourselves to our native tradition and our native systems because 
we are going to grow stronger by doing that. And we have to control the narrative against those who would seek to pervert that understanding. We have to take that narrative away because our words are magic. I know that's a really cheesy, corny line said by lots and lots of people, but they really are. The way that we tell our stories, the way that we transmit our knowledge is the working of magic. It is what is going to make us become self-dependent and stronger if we start, if we allow ourselves to immerse into that tradition instead of seeking answers from sources from other traditions. And like one thing that I that I I want to clear up is that's what we're not saying here is being a gatekeeper for those of our folk that are trying to learn. What we are specifically talking about is defending against foreign influences that seek to weaken our our folk spiritually and through that mentally, physically, emotionally. Although there is a certain amount of gatekeeping that that is natural to that because in, in you hear people say, you know, for example, oh, there's no dogma. There's no dogma. No, there absolutely is dogma. A hundred percent. Our people had rules. Our people had uh, certain ways of doing things. And there was things that were just completely rejected. And dogma is what actually gives us our, our, our strength because we know what those rules are. We know what that information is. And um, that's what essentially is the print in the book, for lack of a better way of saying it, that tells us, you know, this is the way you do it. Yeah, it, like, and, 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 we, and we have said this before, that every spiritual religious system has dogma. Just because it may be softer or not as detailed as, say, a Christian dogma, every spiritual path has, value, has accepted values, honorable and things that make you honorable, things that make you dishonorable, rules for living, and these are dogmas. So to say that we don't have dogma is to say we do not have a code of ethics, moral standards, and values, which we absolutely do. Therefore, we have dogma. I, I usually find it's people that are atheists that tend to always side on the there is no dogma motto not so much the people that are you know inclined to actually uh practicing a belief in the reality of our gods being real i can agree with that i would also like not because i mean i was gonna say people that are more political than spiritual but those people would also be more atheists so or uh yeah yeah we're saying the same thing so when we talk about the occult or mysticism uh a lot of people are going to say okay well what exactly is 
the tradition of our people and in, in, in this regard, you know, what is the, what, what is the system? How do we learn this? Um, what would your answer be to them, Anthony? Well, I mean, the two easy answers are the runes and Galderlag. But then it's like, okay, what does that necessarily mean? Which systems? Because, you know, we have the, the Elder Futhark, the Younger Futhark, the, the Anglo-Saxon system, the, Arman the Armenian system propagated by Mr. Von List. I don't like. I don't know. Like when 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 I think of occult and mysticism and mysticism, I think of the personal spiritual inner practices that are only called to by a few. Like I'm gonna catch flack for this, but like for instance, I don't think every single person out there should or is capable of using the runes and Galderlag. So, like, I don't know. That's, that's, for me, that's a hard one to answer because I come back to, I don't think that that specific approach is what anybody and everybody should be doing. You might disagree so, with me. Well, you know, I, I look at it as, the 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 occult is the occult knowledge the true occult knowledge is just living and in understanding what you do and how it affects things around you last last week we talked about you know that there are patterns and everybody can see the patterns but not everybody can read them the same and that's the that's the occult knowledge that's you know understanding how how things tie together uh every time we speak we're speaking information to other people that are creating ideas and thoughts in their head and those ideas and thoughts um reverberate throughout uh people's lives i remember things that people told me when i was a kid that impacted my life but i didn't realize it at that time when i was a child when the words were spoken to me but later in life you know, you tend to think back to things, especially when you've made mistakes in your life, like I have, uh, where you think back to where people are trying to give you good guidance and how those things affect you. And then moving forward, knowing those things, how you affect other people. I had, um, and this doesn't have anything to do with like our faith or magic per se, but I, I had a, a, there was this guy that I knew when I was a kid and uh, some people were, were picking on him and uh, it was a group of, of boys and I, I think there might have been about 10 or 12 of them and this was, you know, just a young, young kid. He was about 11 years old at the time. I was like 13 and this group of boys were picking on this kid and essentially I stood up for the kid and... Uh, I protected him, and at the end of the day, it was me and that kid and this other guy that were fighting, like, I, I think it was about 13, 14 people, and uh, to me, as a kid, that was just a fight. We got into it. It was over, blah, 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 blah. Life went on. Didn't see that kid for almost 20 years, 20 years after that. Facebook comes around. Somehow, this kid finds me. He's not a kid anymore. He's a grown man at this time. 
and he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, man. We got to talk. I got to call you. What's your phone number, right? And give him my phone number, and he gets on the phone with me, and he's just telling me about how influential I had been in his life, that I had stood up for him, and he, he didn't have a father that was a part of his life, and that was like the first act of manhood that he had really ever witnessed, and he just went on and on about how impactful that was to the rest of his life. And I never thought about it all those years, never thought about it. But those things that obviously stuck with him impacted his life for the better. And to me, that's the occult knowledge is when you come into this understanding about how you interact with people, the words that you say, the things that you do, that that that's your magic. That's what you're working. That's your life work. The things that you're actually creating. It's not the intellectual masturbation of, you know, like I know all of this information, but it's how you use that information to change the world around you. Yeah, you've told me that story before personally, but I like how you essentially brought it back to it's the understanding that the things we do not only impact ourselves, but the people that we come into contact with and how a lot right. of times we won't know the, the lesson or the impact until much later. Exactly. And that's what it is for like the importance of living the tradition of our ancestors in today's world is because that is a magical spell that is the occult of our faith and it's what gives us strength and it's what helps us grow and it's what helps us become better and that's why it's so important because otherwise we we're just you know left as nothing with no guidance and we're just i guess you would call it like a, a soulless being that attaches to other forces or entities or groups of people and becomes what they are very superficially very superficial speaking of which slightly changed the flow of the discussion here but it ties together with it uh you saw the and you saw the post by the ermine folk with their shmirya their shmirta uh ritual yeah that yeah, was pretty cool yeah yeah, it'd be really cool to talk to that guy in depth. What is his name? Michael. Last name starts with an S. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, I can't think of the last name. It's so like Savino or something like that. Savano yeah. or. Yeah, but. Serginio Sir, Sir, or. I, I don't know. I just know him as Mike, but yeah. yeah. I just. He's been around a long time. I don't want to disrespect the guy by slaughtering his last name. <laughs> which I just did. I am sorry, Mike, if you listen. I don't even know if he listens to this podcast. Probably not. But uh, I'm so sorry if I slaughtered your last name. Yeah, but they essentially... Now I feel like I should look it up on, on Google and just get it right. Yeah. No, but I mean, essentially, they made, what was it, an Odin, Thor, and Freyr altar statues, and they blooded them, and... They were talking about how as soon as they blooded the Thor Thor one, like thunder rumbled. 
Like as soon as it was, as soon as they, as soon as they, uh, as soon as they finished, like that's that's intense. Yeah. So Mike Sagenario is his name, but um, no, yes. So when they hallow the idol, they were creating the idols, and they were doing a smear uh ritual on it, and they hallow it and call and name the idol that uh, a boom like thunder happens afterwards and then somebody just happened to catch a picture uh of the fire in front of uh in front of the sacred area that they had during their summer halloween which is the biggest event on the east coast once a year um for pagan folk at least but uh they caught the smoke from the fire coming up and it formed the image of a of the idol that well was similar to but you can clearly see the shape of some sort of face in the smoke which i thought was super cool yeah i didn't see that picture i'm gonna have to go back and look those over yeah yeah no look at it closely i i uh i'm gonna post it in the sacred stew group too on telegram just so if anybody wants to see what those pictures look like um but we had talked about the Shmirta ritual before in season one. Where we were talking about uh, the story about Odin and his brothers creating Ask and Imla and how this also ties to a specific ritual of creating your idols and imbuing them with the essence of the god in there that has power and, and, and such. So I believe that this was the first public ritual that was done uh, where the Shemirta ritual was performed, and these are the results. You know, people that that uh, question uh, whether or not traditional rituals like this are a real thing and are valid, um, I think the results speak for themselves. I've been part of rituals, uh, and I have seen things happen and uh, that are just blow your mind like this and they're very powerful and they do actually help um create that faith in the folk when it isn't a public ritual like that uh because they people can see with their own eyes and not just hear the stories told about it in doubt yeah that's why if you're that's why if you're a load practitioner and you're uncertain about you know what you're doing uh, you, you have to get involved uh, with local groups around you. And I, I hear a lot of people always say, like, well, there's no other pagans around me where I live. There are, but they're just like you. They're sitting at home. They're just soul, soul lonely practitioners. Um, and we have to find a way to get you guys out of your house and start talking to each other and start building communities uh, where we can... Uh, worship our gods, our ancestors, and build the folk across the world, across not just the world, but specifically in your own community that you live in to make it stronger, to make your family stronger, to make our folk stronger. Yeah, because, like, I, I mean, I can kind of relate similarly to me. Like, for the longest time, I really, like, I didn't know anybody else in the in in the in the portland area of oregon at all i didn't know there was anybody even within driving distance but as soon as i poke my head out i find i find you 
and I just find a, a, a plethora of other people. I mean, there's some there's some bad groups out there. Or I, I'm not going to say bad groups. There are a lot of groups out there that I, or I, I don't want to say a lot. There are groups out there that I would not recommend. But in just taking the risk and being willing to sift through groups and people, I found people. You know, like there are people that well, I've met. Absolutely. That, there are people that I've met that I would absolutely not bloat with or not do not do anything with. But I had to go through those people to find the good people. No, absolutely. And a lot of it's just ignorance. People don't know. Um, here in the Pacific Northwest, there are uh, our podcast is posted on the the Wolfpack website. Uh, whenever we release, it just automatically loads there. And there's a lot of traffic that that site gets. So there's a lot of people that are interested in the Wolfpack that I've noticed that are contacting us from universalist groups included. You know, where these are just individuals, but all their exposure has only been, you know, with certain groups. Um and they start hearing and reading about the traditional ways of practicing our religion. And they feel the call. They feel the naturalness of uh, what we're speaking about and want to be involved in that. And it, it sometimes has to come through uh, channels that aren't necessarily the best of channels. But just networking itself will get you in contact with those people that you are, um, you know, that are able to teach you about the traditional ways. Yeah, what's that saying? Real recognizes real? <laughs> yeah, I think that comes from Compton. <laughs> <laughs> I had yo, to really yo, 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 go ten steps further with that. <laughs> Man. Yo, my man, real recognize real. <laughs> yeah, but you know, sometimes you gotta sift through the shit to find the diamonds. Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> no cap, player, no cap. <laughs> no cap. No cap 4K. <laughs> oh no. That's I hear the I hear these words from my son. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he is definitely a source of entertainment and uh, street level knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. Good, good kid though. Good kid. Tries to be at least. He's a good kid. Although I look at him and I wonder what you were like when you were thirteen. <laughs> oh, I was a thousand. I was a thousand times worse. I mean, I grew up ignorant of my uh, identity of who I am, who my pe people are. Uh, when I was six months old, my parents hitchhiked from the Northwest all the way to the Midwest, away from every family member that we had that were all from out here. And I grew up without cousins i grew up without like extended family and all there was was my father my mother 
my sister, and myself. And we were in an, an environment there in the Midwest in a big city that was um, a very uh, mixed neighborhood, a lot of different influences, mostly negative. And it took a long time for me to grow up and really find my way um, back to my my ancestors and, and my folk. And because I didn't have any understanding, nobody taught me about these things. And uh, I'm, I 100% I believe that if my son was raised in the same environment that where I, I was raised at, that it would just be a repeat of that. So I feel, feel very blessed to have been able to come out, back out to the Northwest, where I'm originally from, uh, have a family, have some property that's in the rural areas, and raise my, my children with good influences um, where they don't know about you know the things that uh, I had to deal with when I was a kid growing up. And be influenced by all of that, just, I mean, it's just degeneracy, really. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, banged my head against the wall a lot in my younger years. Oh, that's going to be a good topic, man. We could do a whole episode on degeneracy. <laughs> oh, we, <laughs> we're, we're going to get flagged and banned, but let's do it. <laughs> well it's a problem it's a problem you know because um you have so many people from so many different backgrounds that uh, are awakening to their uh native faith and uh consciousness of the folk that uh not all of them are necessarily fine-tuned in in the theology or the way of practicing and so they come with a lot of baggage a lot of times myself included i have you know and you can't help it in our society today being raised in the sort of environments that we're all being forced to um compete in and survive in where we're essentially told at the age of 18 here you're on your own you're an individual figure it out which is completely different than how we have always raised our children and families historically in the past. I mean, we had multi-generational uh, families in the past where you, you had the children, the parents, the grandparents all living, you know, in close proximity, if not in the same homes and, and farmlands. And uh, today, you know, they're just thrown out to the wolves right away so to yeah, so to speak and uh i really would like to see us get to a point where we're back into the multi-generational uh family circles the multi-generational family circles where uh our children can 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 be raised and taught uh from a young age that the importance of the family and that we rely upon each other uh, this is how we survive. Uh, that would help, number one, with drug addiction. All these problems our society has today where, you know, essentially it's just abused children that had no fathers or fathers were abusive because we've been stripped of, we've been stripped of, of learning the responsibility 
responsibility of taking care of our own uh, people, let alone our own family members. And if we had multi-generational homes or properties, uh, we would fix all of that right away. You know, I yeah. have a guy at my work, he's Samoan, and he, he respects our faith so much. Um, and I respect his and his culture so much as well. And uh, we were talking the other day about uh, this very topic of multi-generational households because he was he he was talking about the car he had driven to work. It was like a brand new Chrysler 300 or the latest edition that came out or whatever it was. And he was telling me that it was his father's car and that uh, he had bought it for his, his dad. And apparently... Uh, his sister also bought his dad a car as well, um, and and I had just mentioned I was like, oh yeah, you guys do like a communal fund with all of your all of your money and stuff, right? He was like, yeah, that's how we do it. He was like, males do not leave the home until they're married, and then when they're married, um, that's when essentially they become you know the head of their household and in their tribal tradition like the woman is like she's the queen of the home like she runs what happens inside of that house but outside of the house the men are the uh the hunters the gatherers the warriors per se you know and they're responsible for making sure that the house has everything it needs yeah i just thought it was beautiful yeah i mean it's extremely similar to how our people used to used to live and build their families and communities. Yeah, no, no, we, we, we absolutely need to get back to this. Yeah. I mean, but how do we do that, Anthony? Well, I mean, I don't know if we all necessarily need to live in the same house, but definitely, you know, living, living close to, more folk like building like literally building a community to where like your neighbor is your neighbors are members of your kindred or greater tribe you know like fuck take over neighborhoods by 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 like not not illegally not by force but everybody pitch in and we buy houses and property that are right next to each other so we build these safe havens for not only us but our children the only problem is because i i try to do that and then you know people don't have money people don't have you know necessarily the will to do it um, yeah people have different ideas on like you know where they want to go and um at some point, it's just got to be, you know, where people are like, we're going to do this. Yeah. We are going to do this. I know in the Pacific Northwest, we've always had a, a folk consciousness that's been pr pretty prevalent up here. And then uh, we've always encouraged a greater migration from abroad to come to our areas. And um, I think that's something that's really important to do. And I, I, I encourage people to do the same, um, but unless people are willing to actually do it, it's it's really a, a point of frustration for for us on a 
on a deeper soul type of level uh, to heal because that's what we need to actually heal. That's what we need to actually build community. But I don't know. It's a tough I mean, thing I, in today's society. Yeah, well, and that's some of that is uh, we are told from such a young age that we're we're an individual to the to the tenth degree. We have to have all our own stuff. Uh, you know that like what's ours is art, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. And you know we're driven to this point where like you know I live like I live in just a little twelve unit manufactured home park, but I don't even know the name of my neighbors. You know, so we're driven to the as we're driven to be individuals and then we're driven to isolate ourselves. And it's almost to a point where it's counterintuitive to try to build these strong communities. Right. And it, and it, it makes it where it's more of like, oh, who am I? I'm I'm James or I'm Anthony instead of. Oh, I'm James from this family, or I'm Anthony from this tribe. Whereas yeah. in the past, that's how we have always traditionally looked at that. And then after the Christian conversion of our folk throughout Europe and moving more into the modern age where this technology and I I really just think technology is a type of magic, really. And especially like the television, uh, radio, these things are magical instruments or tools where ideas are spread and information is propagated. And, and this goes back to that vertical transmission of information where they are brainwashing everybody essentially to think that they're individuals and to attach themselves to the identity of that their government or local news source is trying to um, propagate to them, you know, trying to define to them. The only way to counter that is the horizontal transmission of information and knowledge about our people. I have a dream. One day my children will grow up and when they refer to themselves, they'll say, I am so-and-so, the son of so-and-so from this family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we need to get back to that. Let's just not have dreams, because it seems like people who have dreams get shot. <laughs> oh, the irony. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> the irony. Right. Man, we didn't really get into uh, stuff on the bloat and stuff, but uh, that's okay. That We can certainly do that in another episode. Yeah. but Because uh, that's going to be a powerful topic, and it all ties together with occult uh, magic, um, the lore. These are important things to understand and important concepts to understand, and we have to dissect all of this information and, and hopefully transmit it to others um, effectively in a way that they that they're able to kind of their eyes glim 
humor a little bit because they recognize, as you said, real recognizes real, you know? And yeah. I hope that this podcast is exactly that for the folk. And I hope that people are beginning to realize, and I know they are because I, I see this information getting relayed in various channels that um, I'm a part of. And it's very important that other kindreds or other people are having these conversations with the folk that they know and the folk that uh, they interact with. Because if we're all doing this, if we're all having these conversations at the same time, this is how change happens. This is how we begin awakening and become stronger. Yeah, and I mean, granted, I know we're pretty small, but I, I definitely feel like we're doing a good job of starting that horizontal transmission of knowledge. We may be small in comparison to the one billion Catholics that exist out there, or whatever that number is, but... Uh, paganism is actually the fastest growing religion in the United States and Europe. And Europeans actually make up the greatest number of pagans in the world. Because I believe wholeheartedly that number represents the reality of our, our hearts, our, our souls. You know? And yeah. it's just like, you know, there's... Uh, uh, when you're... When you're... When you're... Uh, like at the ritual with uh, all thing that we were talking about in the last episode where we were all chanting this uh, incantation to Fran uh, to Frere. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a actually a scientific study about this where when people sing together, their heartbeats start to actually beat with the same pattern. And if we're telling these stories, if we're telling this information together and we're propagating this information, uh, it's the same thing. Our minds and our souls and our hearts begin to beat as one. And that's what I am trying to do with this podcast is to move forward, to make us stronger so that our hearts can all beat as one and we can get to where we need to be for tomorrow. It's been the Sacred Stew. I am Anthony. My co-host is James. Y'all have a good night. <laughs>